God. The name of this message is called Because God is Good. And pretty soon, the Lord willing, I plan to get it back into the Revelation, the Ecclesiastes, but we've been doing some topical things, obviously. Uh, praise God. Uh, brothers stepped up and uh, were very faithful when I was out. Uh, I've been back off and on for a little bit here, but thankfully I'll give maybe a little bit fuller report uh, Sunday because I just talked to my cardiologist and, and praise God. Uh, a lot of thumbs up, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of good, so... Praise God. Bottom line, and, before, and I'm not going to get into it other than say, my cardiologist said my heart's in excellent shape right now. So he says it's, it's just where it needs to be. And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, so praise God. But I want to talk about the Lord and his work and what he wants to do in, in you and us and give him glory and thanksgiving. And, and you really, ultimately, you can show me, show me somebody's life and I can show you their theology uh, in a way, to one degree or another. They might even have right theology, but if they're in disobedience to that theology, uh, that's not a heart-believed, trusted theology. But uh, your theology, basically, and how big your God is determines on how you're going to live your life. And that's why I'm very, very strong about who is this God, you know? It's all about him. This is his biography, this book. The first words are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? And it's his story. History is his story. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the God-man, revealing God the Father to us, revealing the triune Godhood to us as well through the words of, of, of Holy Writ and through his revelation of who the Father is and who the Spirit is. But our, the name of this message is, be, is because God is good. And I don't want to just talk about how good, how awesome, how powerful our God is. I want to talk about that for sure. But I want to talk to you about how God is so good and so powerful and so sovereign and so wise. It should impact our lives. It should impact the way we live our lives. Uh, it should give us incredible confidence about facing the future. I love what it says about the Proverbs 31 woman. It talks about how she smiled at the future. And today, not a lot of people can smile at the future, especially around the world with COVID ravaging lives still and uh, the media even hyping it beyond what it is, even though it's very severe and uh, millions of people apparently have died from it. So not, not dismissing it. Uh, it's something that you have to be very aware of. But uh, we were told, you know, 200 million plus uh, would die uh, from it. At first we were told you didn't need masks and everything else. So it's just been a lot, of, a lot of crazy things out there. But a lot of people are walking a lot of fear. And as Christians, like the Proverbs 31 woman who looked at the future and she smiled at the future, we could put trust not in the future, but trust in the Lord and trust in what he's doing with the future if we know him. And that's the key. And so we need to know who this God is. And God is good. Uh, that's something I reiterated to my children growing up. Now I reiterate, uh, well, they still listen to my messages, so I still reiterate that to them. And, and also on a personal basis, we always talk about the Lord, but also continue to say to my grandchildren, real recently I told my grandchildren, talk to them about how good God is and try to get them to learn a Greek word, agathos. Uh, transliteration, A-G-A-T-H-O-S, uh, agathos. Uh, and it, that word means intrinsically good good in nature, good whether it be seen to be so or not. 
Now that's interesting because that's who God is. He's good in nature. He doesn't get his goodness. It's not conferred upon him from somebody else, from an outside source. He's intrinsically good because he is eternal and he's eternally good from forever past to forever future. That's good news for us as his creatures. Amen. So uh, God is good. Nahum 1.7 says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Aren't you glad God is good? Aren't you glad he's not some kind of monstrous being? You know, like the devil worshipers worship Satan, who's just uh, a twisted being, father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. But we serve a good God. Psalm 31.19 says, how great is your goodness. How great is your goodness while you have stored up for those who fear, that you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. So it's not just good, but it's how great is his goodness. And he stored up this goodness for us who take refuge in him. It's amazing. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we're called to actually experience his goodness. Not just know that he's good, but understand he's stored up his goodness for us. And we're supposed to experience or taste of his goodness. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You taste of his goodness by trusting in him and experiencing the life of God. Psalm chapter 86 verse 5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in your loving kindness to all those who call upon you. So to experience his goodness, we need to call upon him. We need to be people of prayer. You need to make sure that you're a person of prayer and that you diligently seek the Lord. We're called to pray without ceasing for you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive. That goodness overflows in mercy toward us who are not good. Jesus said to his own disciples, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. He calls his own disciples evil because we fall short of God's glory. We miss the mark. We're nothing like we were created to be, but thankfully we're being transformed into his likeness. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. So his goodness is also manifested in his faithfulness. This is faithfulness to us. So often when we see the Lord's goodness mentioned in Scripture, it's mentioned in a concrete, tangible way whereby we can relate to it in some act of kindness or compassion or forgiveness or mercy toward us. And this is good news. Uh, I had a message recently, a couple Sundays back, about how His mercies are new, I think it was last Sunday, new every morning. We have this amazing Incredibly amazing God. What does it mean that God is good? It means that he's benevolent toward his creatures. It means he desires our blessing. He desires us to enjoy what he's made, to enjoy him first and foremost because he's the most enjoyable being in the universe by far because he's God and there's greater joy in him than in any person or anything when you come to know him. And he wants us to flourish that's what it means. It means that he wants us to flourish. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches because riches are just uncertain. The psalmist said, you know, uh, that his riches, they, they grow wings and fly away, you know. And how many of that have been that your experience with money, right? Usually it doesn't just fly and all sit in your bank account, right? But guess what? The Lord is stable and he says not to fix their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. That's who you need to put your hope in. On God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. That's a good God. He wants us to enjoy all things. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to enjoy what he's made. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus spoke of how good 
God is, the God the Father. He says, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So we're called to love our enemies and do good to them because guess what? God loves his enemies and does good to them. And aren't you thankful for that? Because before we were children of God, as men as received him, we gave the right to become the children of God. Before we had received and become children of God, we were children of wrath, the Bible says. Hostile in our minds toward God. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God is good. He even loves his enemies. And it's important that we understand the nature of God because Satan wants you to continually doubt who God is, his love for you, his goodness. In fact, that's exactly what was happening in Job's life. Job had better theology, better understanding than anybody in his lifetime. He's the most blameless man on earth. So his theology to understand who God was worked out on a practical level in his life. Yet Satan tried to get him into a tailspin where in Job chapter 7, he was wondering, crying out. He said, I prefer strangling to life. And he says, how come you won't forgive me? That was a lie. God had already, he was forgiven. He was declared righteous before God. Yet Satan got him to think that God had it in for him. And this is important to understand because as you go through the book of Job, he has glimpses of light at times, but other times he's struggling with God and who he is. Uh, and God doesn't pull any punches at the end. He reveals how powerful he is. This is Job, you know. Uh, and Job just, you know, repents in dust and ashes, you know, and uh, realizes, man, he's powerful, but he also realizes that he shouldn't have questioned God. And we need to affirm his goodness Psalm 145.9, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and I love this, listen to this, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Are you one of his works? Yeah. Guess what? His tender mercies are what? Over some of his works, most of his works, all of his works. He desires, it says in Romans chapter 11, verse, somewhere around verse 32 and 33, to have mercy on all. That's his heart. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We have good and perfect gifts from him. The Holy Spirit is good and perfect. His word is good and perfect. Amen? He's given us these precious gifts. And it's important for us to understand, do you think the God of the universe who made everything it's just absolutely mind-blowing how powerful he is. Who gave us a conscience and wrote his moral on our hearts to where we know when we do wrong. He's given us a sense of right and wrong. Do you think the creator of all things, who's, the one who's given us this, this, this conscience and this uh, understanding of good and evil, so we don't do evil and, and we're encouraged to do good because when you do what's right, you feel good. You do what's wrong, you feel bad. Do you think that God is, in, is capable of doing evil and just, being an evil entity? No. And he's very clearly revealed in his word and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in the God-man. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've, done the, you've seen the Father who went around doing incredible acts of love and compassion and had mercy on people and forgave them their sins even though they deserve judgment. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's showing us how good he is. You want to wonder how good, is? How God, how good God is? Just look at Jesus, man. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible says he's the exact representation of the Father's person. He's the image of God, Colossians 1, 16. And the word image there is the word from the word icon in the Greek. 
And that was a word that was used of the image of, say, for instance, the emperor on a Roman coin. So if you wanted to see what the emperor looked like, you could look at a Roman coin. There's the icon. That's the Greek word that's used. If you want to see what the father looks at, like you look at Jesus and what he does. He says, I speak the words, only the words that the father gives me. I do the works that the father gave me to, to do. And Jesus is the second person to try triune Godhead. But he's not just a faint image. He's the exact image, a uh, representation of the father. God is not only good, God is almighty. And I'm not going to go through all of God's attributes. I'm going to go through a few of them briefly and then look at how they apply to our lives. Uh, God is also almighty. What does it mean that God is almighty? It means that he's all-powerful, that he's omnipotent. Uh, This is an an important aspect, uh, a central aspect to his infinity and who God is as an infinite being, that he has unlimited power. Uh, The Hebrew for almighty, when we read of the almighty God or God almighty is El Shaddai. El, God, Shaddai. He's God almighty. So God is the all-powerful one. And we read in scripture, Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says that God, uh, with God, all things are possible. I love that. And what does it mean for God to be almighty? It means he could do whatever he chooses to do. Uh, anything he wants to do, he could do that's consistent with his nature. That's consistent with his loving, holy, righteous, and just nature. Of course, there are several things that God cannot do. Now, some people say, well, if God's all-powerful, can he make a round circle? Can he make a married bachelor? Just think of how stupid those questions are. They're contradictions, you know. Uh, A round circle wouldn't really, you know, a married bachelor, you're either one or the other. And God is not into absolute absurdities. Uh, God God is, anything that's conceptually possible, uh, that God, that's within God's nature of holiness and righteousness and so forth, God can do. But there are certain things the Bible says God cannot do. Those are things that are contrary to his nature. Five things that God can't do. God cannot lie. Uh, Hebrews chapter 16, verse 18 says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Because God is perfectly holy and righteous. And because he's perfectly holy and righteous, it's incapable of, he's incapable of lying because he can't do that which is evil and contrary to his holy and righteous nature. Number two, God cannot change the essence of who he is. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, are not, I'm not consumed. Malachi 3.6. I love that. He doesn't change. Number three, uh, God's word cannot be broken. Jesus said in John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. Psalm 89, verse 34, my covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing which that has gone out of my lips. So God cannot lie. God cannot change. God's word cannot be broken. Number four, God cannot be tempted. And by the way, aren't you glad that God doesn't lie? Aren't you glad that God uh, doesn't break his promises? Aren't you glad that, that God uh, keeps his word? God cannot be tempted. And aren't you glad God can't be tempted to do evil? I am. James said it very clearly, quote, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He has things that God cannot do. He can't be tempted with evil. 
because it's against his nature. He cannot be tempted with evil and tempts no one. And I'm thankful for that too. He doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't try to get us to evil because he's for us. He wants us to flourish. He wants to have mercy over all of his works. You know, he'll allow you to be tempted to test you to see whether you're going to follow him or Satan because he wants a faithful flock in the end. And those he's with in the end, when you read Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, are those who are called, who are chosen, and who are, it says, faithful. That's what's going on on this planet right now. He's seeing who's going to be faithful and who's not going to be faithful. So God can't be tempted. God also, number five, cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. He can't go contrary to the nature to, to who he is. 2 Timothy 2, 12 and 13 says, If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So if we endure, we persevere to the end. He says, he that endures the end will be saved. But just before this, Paul says that he, you know, he endures for the elect's sake, that we too will be saved. So he's talking about, in the context of the letter in 2 Timothy, those who were living believers at the time, the elect, that they would persevere in the faith and he would encourage them to continue. So he says, if we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he also would deny us. Remember, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father and the angels in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father and the angels in heaven. Then he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. For he cannot deny himself. What's he saying there? He's saying if we deny him, he will deny us. Because we're faithless and deny him, he'll deny us. Why? Because he can't deny himself. He has to remain true to his nature and true to his word. And he promises that if we apostatize and commit apostasy uh, that, and deny him, he'll deny us. Because he cannot deny himself. So it's imperative that we keep the faith and we refuse to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. So God is all good. God is almighty. In fact, Genesis 17.1 says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Genesis 18.14. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? No. Nothing. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. Behold, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Absolutely not. So God is all good. God is almighty. But God is also sovereign. God is all good. Thank you, Father. I'm so glad you're good. God is almighty. Thank you that you are all powerful. We can put our trust in you. We don't have to worry about the powers of darkness as far as if we trust ourselves to you, you're more powerful than them. We don't have to worry about the future because you're ultimately in control and so forth. But God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And sometimes people confuse sovereignty with his almightiness. And sovereignty speaks more about the application. Sovereignty speaks more about the application of his goodness, of his wisdom, of his almightiness, his omnipotence, and how he governs the world, how he governs the universe. What does it mean that God is sovereign? It means that he has absolute lordship and rulership over his creation. And as a creator of all things, he is therefore the owner of all things. And he has inherent authority over everything because he is the creator. Therefore, he has inherent authority over everything that he is, has created and that he has absolute control over all things. 
Now, this is important because not one atom, not a single atom in the universe is outside of God's control. None of it, it, no, no atom is, not, is in a position right now that he didn't allow it to be in. Now, this is important that we don't, cons- we don't confuse God being in ultimate control of all things with God causing all things. That's where our beloved Calvinistic brothers and sisters uh, mess up. You know, they end up making God the author of sin and making him the author of everything that happens that's evil and that's saying he predetermined everything. No, God is in control of all things. He permits anything that takes place to take place. He's in ultimate control because he could stop many, he could stop anything he wants to, but he allows many of these things to take place still because it's within his sovereign purposes to work out his plan in accordance with his greater purposes and his ultimate will. So it's important for us to understand that Though God is in control of all things, he doesn't cause all things. He doesn't, when we sin, sin is of us, it's not of God. We are the ones that are without excuse. God's the one that says, don't do it. And if you do it, that's what sin is. You're going contrary to God's will, but he permits it. He allows it. So guess what? He's allowed it. He's allowed it to exist in his universe. So, but he's ultimately in control of it. He lets it happen. He says, okay, but I'm going to use this to the greater good, even though you did evil and it's going to hurt you if you don't repent and it still hurt others, those who seek me and trust me, I'm going to use it for the good in their lives, which is, makes him even far more powerful uh, than any concept of God in a deterministic theology where everything's just scripted. We have this amazingly powerful God. So uh, the biblical sovereignty that the scriptures speak of is that while God controls everything, it's not the same as him causing everything uh, to take place. Now, it's interesting because we read in Psalm 47, verse 2 and verse 8 about God's sovereignty. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. You see, he owns everything. He's ruler over everything. In fact, the scriptures say over and over again, the Lord reigns, Psalm 93, 1 and 2, Psalm 96, verse 10, Psalm 97, verse 1, Psalm 99, verse 1, First uh, Chronicles 16, 31, Isaiah chapter 57, or 52, 7, they all say the Lord rules, or the Lord reigns. Psalm 103, 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. You catch that? The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 47.2 says that he is the great king over all the earth. 1 Timothy 6.12 or 6.15 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he is that the Lord is, quote, blessed and the blessed and only sovereign, the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, Lord of lords. I love that. So our God is all good. He is almighty. He is sovereign. And one more thing I want to talk about before we get into how this applies to our lives and how it should apply to our lives is he is also all wise. He is all wise. He's not just raw power, you know. He's all wise. He's not just a loving heart of wanting to be a blessing, but he's all wise. That means he has all knowledge that nothing escapes his understanding and that he has perfect application of that knowledge in, the acts, in his acts of wisdom. 
and that he knows all things. He not only knows all things that exist, but he also knows any possible world that he could create. He knows what would happen if you did this instead of doing that. And we know that because I've used the example before, and there's a number of examples like this. But I love Kyla in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories to illustrate how wise and powerful and awesome our God is and how he knows the future and even knows the future uh, that, that could take place if we made other choices. Because David says, Lord God, he says, is, he's running from Saul. And he runs to Kyla. And he saves the people actually from Ky- in Kyla from some wicked, uh, wicked marauders, another wicked army. And man, him and his men should have the favor of the people. They should be laying down their lives for him because David and his men basically were ready to lay down their lives for them and one and routed the other army. So, but guess what? King David finds out that King Saul is coming, who is still the king. And King David isn't actually officially king yet. So as King Saul is coming, guess what? He asks the Lord, is Saul going to end up here in Kilah? And when he shows up here, if he does, will the people hand me over to him to be killed? And the Lord says, yep, he's coming. And yep, the people are going to hand you over to King Saul. And David fled, and his life was saved. And we call that in theology counterfactual knowledge. It's not, it's not a knowledge that actually took place. It didn't actually happen. It wasn't fulfilled, and it wasn't a prophecy for the Lord. He just said, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. It was conditional upon what David had done. David chose to leave Kyla. His life was spared. But it shows you, and there's so many examples of this. I just did, uh, we just did a podcast, I don't know, a month or so, maybe a couple months ago, on counterfactual knowledge. Could even be three months ago now. Time is just flying. But, uh, and many, many examples like that. And there were other examples. Some meat I even left on the bone. We only had a half an hour to go through the counterfactual knowledge. But God is so wise in fact, the scriptures tell us that he's so wise. In fact, listen to Romans 16, 27. I love what Paul calls our God. He calls him the only wise God. Through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. He's the only wise God. And I love it because Ephesians 1:11 says that in him, that's in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So we have all these people with libertarian free will, you know, uh, making choices of which God will hold them accountable for and judge them for. And God uses all these rebellious people along with the righteous who submit to him and fear him. And he works things out to his glory in the end. He works everything according to the counsel of his will. Remember the psalmist again, the psalmist is in chapter 73, you know, where he said, I envied the wicked. I almost fell. I almost fell away. But I went in the sanctuary because he saw the prosperity of the wicked and he said the Lord showed him that he puts the wicked in slippery places. He puts the wicked in Pharaoh's court. He put one of the wicked, Judas, as one of the 12 apostles. See, he's, as we say, so I like to say he's the ultimate master chess player because he's playing with living pieces that make their own choices and still sticks them in the right places. That's how wise our God is because he works everything after the counsel of his will. And in the very end, guess what? There's not one person that says, you predetermined that I'd be evil. I had no choice. Wrong. He is so wise and so powerful, he can take those who he knows will make evil choices and put them in places where he knows he's going to be able to pull off his whole plan of redemption and be praised in the end. There'll be a little more to say on that later as it goes, as it segues with the gospel. But it's interesting 
Uh, he knows every thought, every deed, every word, every whisper that will ever be said. Uh, uh, he knows every event in the history of the entire universe. He knows every event that will take place. In fact, he is basically, by his power, uh, made such moves in his sovereignty to where everything is moving toward Armageddon and to where all the wicked who will surround Israel, to destroy Israel. And according to Revelation chapter 17, 10 kings will give their power to the beast to make war against the lamb. And they're thinking, look at the plan we have hatched. And it says the demons will go out of the mouth of the beast and out of the false prophet and the dragon to, to bring the world together. Revelation 16, 14 through 16 for the battle of Armageddon. Yet you know what it says in Revelation chapter 17? That God put it in the hearts of those 10 kings. So it's like, wait, wait a minute. Did they do it or did God do it? God used their evil and said, okay, I'm going to use your evil choices to fight against my son. And I'm going to sovereignly work in such a way where I'm going to bring you over here. And I'm going to fight the battle on my terms, even though you're thinking you're hatching this plan. You're hatching the evil plan to come against my son. That's theirs. The evil is theirs. But guess what? God says, I'm going to decide where, where the battle's at. And I'm going to be glorified in the end. That's how powerful our God is. It says he causes the wrath of man to praise him. That's how wise our God is. And now, I think it's important as we look toward applying these things. Since God is all-powerful, or since God is all-good, and since God is almighty, and since God is sovereign, and since God is all-wise, it's imperative that we understand that we can trust him. You apply these truths in your lives by trusting him. Those of you who are sitting down right now, you exercise a measure of trust in the seat that you're sitting on. You would not have sat on that seat if you felt it was just going to go and collapse. Okay? And that trust was based on a degree of reason. We, you felt, you looked, okay, it's got four legs. It's not just got three legs. If you saw that it had three legs, you'd back, say, I better find another chair. We could trust our God because he has more than so, you know, so four, even four legs, so to speak, you know. He's more, he, he's all loving, you know, he's all good, he's all powerful, he's omnipotent, you know, he's omniscient, all wise, all wise, he's perfectly just, he's holy, 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 and there's so many attributes that we can go through, uh, he, he cha doesn't change, on and on about, it. he's faithful, on and on and on, we could put our trust in him. Psalm 138, 8 says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So the psalmist says he'll fulfill his purpose for me. Isn't that awesome? You can know that God will fulfill his purpose for you if you're trusting him. Because he's all-powerful. Because he's all-good, he wants to fulfill his purpose for you. Because he loves you. Because he's all-powerful and he's sovereign, he has the power to where his plans cannot be thwarted. And because he's all-wise, he knows how to pull it off. So it's just really powerful. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we read, for I know, the Lord says, for I know the plans I have to, for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans I have for you. He knows the plans he has for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that was uttered to believers that were going to Babylon to spend 70 years in captivity. And that applies to believers now because he has a future and hope for us as well as we trust him and we live in a spiritual Babylon, so to speak. And 
He has very specific plans for our future. And nothing can thwart his plans for us if we're trusting him and we're in his plans. The fact that God is all good and almighty and sovereign and all wise means, and know, you knowing that should transform your whole understanding of God. It should, or at least continue, if you already understand God that way, it should just cause you to rejoice in him. It should transform the way you live your life. It should have such an impact in your life that he's in control. I can trust him. Even though right now it's chaos, you know. Even though right now there's the political chaos here in our country, the United States of America. And uh, for those of you outside our country, many of you are facing different forms of chaos, whether it's geopolitical or whether it's because of COVID or because, it's of, because of persecution or because of the atheism and the, or even the practical atheism you see all around you or the indifference towards the Lord and no fear of the Lord, people that don't share your values, a lot of things that can discourage you, but you keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? That's where the encouragement is. That's where the encouragement is. Since God is all good, almighty, sovereign, and all wise, he will never give us more than we can handle in him. Since God is all those wonderful things, we can trust him never to give us more than we can handle in him. Remember this scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but that which is what? Common to man. God is faithful. And I'll be preaching on this next Wednesday, by the way, this verse. So I won't say a lot about this. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. I love that. I love that. He's faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And the word tempted there is prosmos. It means tempted or tested beyond what you're able. Both a temptation or trial or testing will also give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He gives us the grace to handle it. Now this verse is often misunderstood and it's quoted in such a way where guess what God won't give you more than you can handle so whatever you go through you can handle it just you know buck up you know and just just get tap into that inner fortitude and and just be strong because God made you in such a way where you can handle anything that comes your way that's not what that's saying that is not what that's saying that's how it's quoted often and you'll notice when I said he won't give you anything more than you can handle I qualified it with he won't give you anything more than you can handle in him not that you have to qualify it because you can have that meaning without saying in him, but sometimes I'll say in him because it's important that we understand that he doesn't give us anything more than we can handle in him through trusting in him. Do you understand? Because the text says he's faithful and he will give us a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. You're able to endure it, why? Because he's faithful and because he gives you a way of escape. In other words, he's at work in your life. You're trusting him. He's enabling you to get through your trial. So it's important that you understand that he's not saying to you that, yeah, I just won't give you anything that's too tough for you. You just kind of sit through it and you'll get through it. No. There's many things, all kinds of things we go through that are way too hard to handle on our own. Amen? But not too hard to handle in him. He gives us the grace, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the next letter he writes to Corinthians, that's sufficient for us. He empowers us, he enables us, he gives us strength. So it's very, very important to understand that when you're going through a trial, you don't just sit there. By way of application, you have to say, okay, wait, he's all powerful. He's all good, he's all wise, he's sovereign. And he's there for me, he's faithful because he's all good. And he has the wisdom to get me through this and he has the power to get me through this. Therefore, I'm going to pray to him. 
I'm going to seek him in prayer. I'm going to call upon his name. And you cry out to him. I'm going to read his words so I can glean and understand his wisdom so he can speak to me by his Holy Spirit. I'm going to uh, meditate on his word day and night. And that way, he can empower you through the trials that you go through. So it's important to understand that. I'm telling you right now, you guys have all heard it quoted where, you know, and stated where he won't give you anything more than you can handle. It's like, you know, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, You get a lot of things more than you can handle. You were not designed to handle them apart from God. In fact, many of these things that he allows in our lives are there to show us that we can't handle them so that we would understand that our strength comes from him. So we understand that our salvation is in him. So we understand that he is our refuge. So there's all kinds of things that he will bring our way to show us that we can't handle them apart from him. But in him, Paul says, you know, through him we could do what? All things, amen? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do zero, nothing. John 15, when he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's important that we understand this, that we need to rely on him. And uh, since he is good, he doesn't give us more than we can handle in him through trusting him and through looking to him. Amen? So it's important that we understand this and uh, understand the context of that particular passage and uh, God is infinite wisdom. Uh, he doesn't allow us to suffer for a single second longer than we could handle in him, okay? He, 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 he's perfect. So you don't have to, wo- like, man, so the Lord is going to let me go through something that I can't handle if I'm seeking him? See, that's the key. You need to be seeking him and looking to him, and he will empower you, and he will give you strength. Amen? In fact, I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 19. It says, I pray, Paul says, that, that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then in verse 19, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then verses 20 and 21, just after that, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think or ask or dream or ask or imagine according to the power, the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. You see, he empowers us and he gives us a way of escape and he gives us the guidance because he's all powerful and he's all wise. But you have to look to him. And because he's all these things we talked about at the top of the message, you can look to him and trust that he's all good, almighty, sovereign, rules over all, and he's all wise. And that's good news. Since God is all good, almighty, sovereign, and all wise, you could trust him in regard to the future of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, that the church will endure throughout all generations. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 23 through 25, it talks about the church in heaven, those who are named, and their names are written in heaven of the church. You know, the church has already, guess what? There's no way the church can be destroyed. A lot of the church is already in heaven. Amen. Satan can't even touch the church in heaven. And those who belong to the Lord are protected by him, uh, those who are trusting him. Amen. That's specifically Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. Uh, since God is all powerful, all good, all sovereign, and all wise, we can entrust our eternal souls to him. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust yourself to him. Since God is all good, almighty, sovereign, and all wise, we can trust 
our children's futures to him. If you have children, you need to teach them the word of God. You need to be praying for, over them. You need to be diligent about this because your children will grow up quick before your very eyes. Before you know it, they'll be out of your homes. Even if they're out of your homes right now, you still need to be praying for them, encouraging them to the degree that they'll let you speak into their lives and, and bless them. Uh, because we can trust the Lord in regard to our children's futures but of course, they need to put their trust in the Lord and we need to model that and we need to pray for them and encourage them in that. Isaiah 40, 11 says this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I love that. He, he, I love that. He gently leads those who have young. I love what Psalm 102, verse 28, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you cares about the children. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. I love Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Bless the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in, the com in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. You make sure you focus on the Lord, and it's more likely that your children will be blessed as you put Christ first in your life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So it's important that we understand he wants the children to come to him. He wants us to bring our children to him. And when our children look at us, they should see beautiful, pristine arrows that point to Jesus, that have a sincere love for the Lord, and that point the way to him. And you know what? Every single one of us who's been a parent, you're going to say, man, but I failed here or I failed there. Don't let that be your legacy. Don't let that be the end of you. Amen? If you failed, repent and say, and every, everybody's inevitably failed to one degree or another, say, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And make sure the latter chapters of your life all point to Jesus. And make sure you're humble and you acknowledge where you've blown it. Acknowledge where you, you need to get right and get right. If you need to let your children know that you blew it, be honest with them and say, hey, I blew it in this area. But guess what? I'm following the Lord now. I'm sincerely following. And then have a track record that cannot be gainsaid. Have a consistency in your walk where you're sincerely putting Jesus first. Because this life is quick and we want to make sure we bring as many of our children as possible with us. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You need to actually train them. Spend time with them. You know, I tell you what, you know what? I didn't just have devotions with my children when I brought them up. I didn't have oh, my little devotion here or there. My whole life, you can ask my children, has been a devotion with them. Even now, you know, the predominant one we talk about is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's the, the most, you know, when I'm talking to my daughters, or I'm talking to my son, or I'm talking to my uh, son-in-laws, I'm talking to my grandchildren, they know I'm all about Jesus, you know, and they know they ought to be all about Jesus or there's something wrong with them. Okay, I don't let them set the tone. I set the tone, okay? Because guess what? This is serious. Life is short. Heaven and hell are real. Light and darkness are real. God and Satan are real. The lake of fire is real. God's heavenly eternal kingdom is real. 
And we want to bring as many with us as possible. So we need to shine the light of Christ. Because or since God is all good, almighty, sovereign, and all wise, because that's all true, we can also trust him to hear our prayers. He's all powerful. He can hear it. Hear him, amen. Because he's sovereign, he can rule, right? And make judicious choices regarding what we pray. Because he's all good, he wants what's best for us. Because he's all wise, he knows exactly how to apply which prayer, the timing, whether he says yes, no, or wait. And we can trust him and say, God, you know best. We don't have to get all tweaked and upset. How come you're not answering my prayer the way I'm praying it? It's like, no, he is the one that's all wise and all good and almighty. Not you, not me. So we trust him. Luke eleven nine. 9, Jesus says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And in the Greek, it says, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Don't stop. Continue to pray. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. With confidence, yeah, because he's all good. Because he cares for us. He loves us. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe what you have received it, that you've received it, and it will be yours. When you're asking in prayer and you're asking in accordance with God's will, you know it's his will because you're praying something according to the scripture. Like for instance, that you would be a kinder person to others. Guess what? I can pray that prayer and know that I've received it because that's what God wants, and I'm asking in accordance with his will. Now, if you're asking, Man, Lord, I love this hot new car that just came out, you know. I know it's above my pay, and I know, you know, I probably should get this over here. But, you know, guess what? You don't know that that God's will. You're not going to have as much confidence. I'm not saying you can't pray for something like that. But make sure you put spiritual things first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all your needs will be met, Jesus said. Now, God, I love the fact that God invites us to pray. And he promises that our prayers will be heard. Jeremiah 33.3 says, call to me. The Lord says, call to me, and I will answer you. And show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I love that. Call to me. He's inviting us to pray and I will answer you. And I'll show great, you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now, I'm not saying if you ask Sadaqah as well, he's going to answer that prayer. He'll give you an answer, but maybe no. Or maybe something that's in his will, but not for you yet. And he might say, wait. It's always one of three answers. Yes, no, or wait. But you can trust and understand in your prayer life that I'm, I'm crying out to God. I have not because I asked not. Okay, now I'm asking. So if I'm missing now, it's because he's screening it through his grace. He doesn't want to hurt me, you know. He doesn't want me to be messed up. Since God is all good, almighty, sovereign, and all wise, we can trust him to take care of the wicked around us. And we don't have to return evil for evil. Because as humans, we can be tempted to return evil for evil. We see all kinds of evil things going on all around us in the world. And a lot of people want to take it into their own hands as though they know best. And a lot of times, they know very little. They don't know the big picture. And God tells us not to take uh, judgments into our own hands. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but with a blessing because of to this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. If you want to love life and see good days, man, don't return evil for evil. Leave it to God, ultimately, amen, that he's going to take care of everything. He'll bring everything to judgment. Romans 12, 17 through 20, Paul writes, do not repay anyone evil for evil, just like what Peter said, because he says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 
If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love that. We're called to overcome evil with good. We're not called to return evil for evil. That's how the world works, amen? We're supposed to follow the Lord's example. He went to the cross, not just for us. The Bible says he's a propitiation, the payment, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I love that. In Mark 11.25, Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Praise God. That's awesome. So we can know that God is in control. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Was he mistreated a little bit? Quite a bit. Amen. But guess what? He trusted God's plan, which I'll mention briefly in a few minutes uh, again. But he trusted God's plan and in regard to dealing with his brothers, even though he's put in a position to where he could punish his brothers when he became the right hand of Pharaoh and his vice regent in the, in, the, in the realm of Egypt. And he could have easily punished them. He withheld from that. He gave to the Lord. In fact, he actually wanted his father uh, in heaven to have mercy upon them, even though he was mistreated more than just about anybody was ever mistreated by a family member because he saw the heart of God toward him and the heart of God toward others. And God gave him a new heart. And it's just beautiful. And since we know that God is all-powerful, all-good, sovereign, and all-wise, uh, we can also trust that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty-five: Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a glorious, glorious promise. Amen. We can know, trust, and understand that because God is all these wonderful things, that nobody can just come, no principality, no power, the future, none of these things can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. All these external forces. Of course, Paul goes on to say a little bit later in, in Romans that you yourself must continue in the faith, otherwise you will be cut off. Okay? But if you're choosing to put your trust in Jesus, you're invincible in Christ because not of who you are, but because of who he is. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, I love this promise. He says, you know, uh, and it's very beautiful. He, he talks about, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. And he says, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So we have this incredible promise that all these outside forces, the Greek word snatches, harpazo. The context is the outside force snatching from the Father's hand. In John 15, a few chapters later, Jesus says that we must abide in him as a branch abides in the vine. So we have to continue. But we have this assurance 
that none of these outside forces can snatch us from the Father's hands. Amen? Son's hand either. And neither height nor depth hurts by power any other creative thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Because God is all these things we've been talking about, we can also rejoice in all things. And I've done a message, a few messages of Philippians 4, 4, so I won't even quote that, but I'll quote 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It means because God is all these wonderful things that in all my circumstances, I can give thanks. I love that. I can give thanks in every circumstance because of how awesome the Lord is. Even in my, all my trials, James says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its uh, work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I can know that even my harshest circumstances, that I can rejoice in them, and I'm called to rejoice in them, knowing that God is at work knowing that he's all these wonderful things and he's ultimately in control. And that's a lot of what this message is about is that God's ultimately in control. You need to trust him. And actually the trials that he allows you and I to experience, he causes us to grow deeper roots in him and become more mature and more what he's called us to be. That's very, very important that we get that. In fact, I was reading some, not long ago actually, about farmers, certain farmers will actually not give their trees water when many other farmers would which causes them to for instance orange trees for their roots to go deeper in search of water and they train them that way that way when a real you know drought comes guess what they know how to endure that drought they've already got many deep roots and those roots are able to go even deeper and get in the water that the other trees just die because they can't get the water and guess what god allows us to go through things that sometimes you don't understand, so your roots will go deeper in him. So when you go through some really harsh things, that you'll be stronger and more sturdy and more fruitful than you would be had you not been through trials otherwise. In fact, we know that it's through these trials that God is perfecting us. It's that Job, through these trials, said that he knew that when God was done with him, he'd become like what? Gold, remember that? And even more important than becoming like gold, and this is spiritual gold, which is really what I believe Job's ultimately talking about, is we know it says in the scripture that God works all things together for the good for those who love him and the call according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. And there's nothing that, there's no better, nothing you can, you can become that's good outside of Jesus only because he's the measure of goodness. And guess what? In him, through our trials, as we trust him and we allow him to work his mighty, almighty power and his almighty goodness, amen, his, his, his all omniscience, his wisdom, he perfects us and he makes us like Christ. Makes us like, and Christ is the image of the, of the living God. He is God in the flesh, amen? So you're becoming Christ-like. That's just mind-blowing. You're becoming like the creator of the universe. You don't become God, but you become like him. You become godly. And it's awesome because we can trust him since he is almighty and all these wonderful things, all good and all that, to work everything for the good, for those who love him and they call him his purpose. Because he works everything according to his purpose and his purpose is that you become like Jesus. His purpose was to save you through the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring you into the kingdom of God and then make you Christ-like. And that's just, it's, it's mind-blowing when you think about it. 
And that, keep in mind, it's the Apostle Paul who said in that same book in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I not consider the present sufferings that we're going through right now to be compared to the glory that we revealed in us. If anybody had a great perspective on suffering, it was Paul. Because God called Ananias after the Apostle Paul was saved. He called him to talk to Paul, baptize him, and so forth, and let Paul know that he would be a witness. He'd appear before kings and, and, and how much he would suffer for the kingdom of God, for Jesus, the name of Jesus. Paul was told this from the get-go. And Paul went through all kinds of suffering. How did he get through it? Because he had this eternal perspective. Because he trusted the God he called the all-wise God, the only wise God, the almighty God. And look at what Paul went through. Listen to this list. This is quite a list. I don't know how much you've been through. Maybe you've been through a lot. I've been through some suffering in my life, four or five heavy things, really heavy things in my life, but nothing compared to Paul's list. When I look at Paul's list, I'm like, you know, there's maybe one super harrowing trial I had that would, you know, match up with some of the stuff that Paul went through or two, but Paul went through all kinds of things, you know. I can't stand in his shadow with regard to what he went through regarding suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 24. Listen to his list. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one because they'd give you 39. Five different times. they give you minus 40 because that could kill you, right? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have not even been shipwrecked once. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from the false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Wow. Yet Paul says in that same letter, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light, this light. Light? What are you talking about, Paul? Momentary. I mean, it's light compared to something else. It's momentary. It's, it's not forever. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us. God's actually using those things, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you realize God's using these things that he's going through and what you're going through if you're looking to Jesus through these things? He's using these things to bring you to a place that you, are, that you become more and more of a treasure in God's eyes because, of, because you become more Christ-like and because you you stand up for his name and you refuse to recant and you, and you hold the faith because all those who live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and you don't throw in the towel. You show yourself to be a trophy for the Lord. It's such a beautiful reality. And I'll tell you what, right now, no matter what you go through, when you're in heaven, you're not going to have one second regretting what you went through on this earth other than when you weren't faithful to the Lord maybe. But there'll be no more tears. So even that won't be something that you will be hanging on to. But you know what? In hell, that's all they'll have is time to regret rejecting the Lord and not putting their trust in him. So since God is all these wonderful things, we could trust him. Remember, who do you think suffered? You know, for me, it was Job and Joseph in the Old Testament. No one suffered more than Jesus, but Job and Joseph suffered the most. And we read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, at the end of that story, Joseph says, as for you, meaning his evil brothers who represented the tribes of Israel, you meant evil against me. 
He's just being direct. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Wow. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I don't have time to get into the whole beautiful story, but God used what he went through to feed the Gentiles and then even these, the brothers, bread and keep them from starving to death. And jo, 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 Joseph saw that. And he saw that because God is all-powerful, all-good, sovereign, and all-wise, guess what? He could take the evil that his brothers had fashioned against him to destroy him and turn it for the good in his life. Guess what? That same God promises to work all things together for the good in your life if you love him and you're called according to his purpose. He promised that what you're going through right now, the most painful things you're going through right now, can't be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. He also promised that, guess what? These momentary light afflictions are actually working and producing in you this eternal weight of glory. So what you're going through is, that's where you got to trust the Lord. And so you, then you're not going to be one of those guys like, whoa, it's me. Everything's always, I can't believe what I go through. Well, guess what, man? If you're trusting, look at the Lord, the Lord's using that stuff to give you a greater reward and blessing in heaven. So we need to stop whining. We need to start praising. Amen? That's what we need to do. We have an awesome, awesome, awesome God. Lastly, I'll just say this. The Bible says, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, that God, by God's predetermined plan, he used wicked men and their hostility against the Lord and all their wickedness in nailing Christ to the cross as part of his plan, whereby we would be able to be forgiven through Christ's death for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection. He took the most evil act that could ever possibly take place God being hated and crucified on a cross. And that was part of his plan to say, hey, this shows you how evil you are, but this shows you how good, right? All good. How almighty, how sovereign, and how all-wise I am. Because I'm going to show you how evil you are, and I'm going to put myself at the end of your wickedness and allow you to crucify me. And in doing so, I'm going to cry out for your forgiveness to show you how powerful, how good I am. And I'm going to rise from the dead and give you an opportunity to repent of that wickedness, to see just who you are without me and what you've become in rejecting me. So you can come to terms with the reality of how evil you are and your need for grace and mercy and your need for me, that you will be brought to repentance if you so choose and into my kingdom and become a trophy of my grace, joyfully submitting to me for eternity to come because you've recognized your need for my salvation and just how good I am and how evil you are without me. I mean, that's basically what the Lord is saying through the gospel and through his eternal plan. Because forever, even the 24 elders who were not redeemed by God's grace cast their crowns before his throne because they recognize how amazing he is. How much more should we cast our lives before his throne, before him and his throne? Because he has redeemed us. Amen? Amen. In closing, I'll just say this. Praise God that we could trust him to forgive our past, amen, and our present sins as we confess them. And we can, can, can trust him for the future because he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And because Hebrews chapter 13, 8 says of Jesus that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I encourage you, put your trust in him because he is all good, almighty, sovereign, and all wise, 
faithful, and we can go on and on about his, his character and his nature. But I wanted to not just focus on one attribute, but I didn't have time to focus on all of them and get into application. So I just want to take a few of the main attributes that you can look at in regard to God and continue to study him throughout Scripture and all his attributes. But put your trust in him. We have, a, we have an amazing God. And sometimes, you know, we get together, people talk about God and what he's doing and so forth and so forth. But you need to read the narrative in Scripture to see how he interacts with humanity. Make sure you're studying the word. Make sure you're reading the word. Make sure you know who this God is. Make sure you study uh, the theology of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation so you can fear and love God, so you can praise him forevermore. Amen. Love you guys. Let's pray. Father, I pray if there's anybody...